and welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Verum, and with me as always is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, doing good. Long day of training at work, but I'm ready to podcast tonight. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so make sure you guys follow us on social media. We're on all the different platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Goodreads, if you want to see uh, what I'm reading and what's uh, coming up on the podcast. And then you can also head over to our website, pagesoflight.com, and check out all the stuff happening over there. So in this episode, we're going to be continuing our discussion of Promise of Blood, book one of the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan. You can check out uh, part one of the episode went up probably a week or so before this one. So you can hear a discussion of the beginning of the book there. Because in this episode, we're going to be finishing the second half of the book and then giving you our final thoughts on it. And then talk a little bit about some thoughts for book two, what we expect to happen. I can't remember. Did you have you? You've read the whole trilogy, though, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Okay. I'll so I'll, so I'll give you my thoughts and Gabe will try not to ruin anything for me. Yep. That's Gabe will just have these weird smirks on his face because he knows either I've guessed something correctly or I'm like completely off base and have no idea what I'm talking about. So it's kind of like I was uh, saying in like the great hunt, like I really enjoy the books, but then like a few years go by and it just like, sure. It, wi- it wipes my memory. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of like reading it for the first time sometimes. I know some big, big plot points, but sometimes it's just like, sure, new (laughs) story-ish. Yeah, especially when you read a lot of fantasy and science fiction, like you kind of like your mind shifts to like, okay, this is the next story that I'm going to focus on. And so you kind of like, like you lose all the small little details over time. You'll like, I remember the big things that happen, but all of, especially in like the wheel of time, like. I'm not going to remember all the small details from the great hunt or the eye of the world whenever we're reading book 10, you know, in like yeah. three years. It's, from it's, now. it's kind of like, you know, binge watching Netflix. Sure. People do that. They like get on there and they like yep. binge all 10 episodes in a season. And then they get to season two. They're like, what happened in season yeah. one? Like that's, that's like how, how I feel about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So that's what we're going to be doing in this episode. And to kick it off as always we're going to be doing a favorite quote something that we uh found in the book that we thought was uh interesting or uh was some words of wisdom or whatever it is uh gabe do you want to kick us off this time i think i went first last time sure yeah so mine is uh adamant's observation when he arrives at the villa of the archdiocese and he says it was said that the Archdiocese was much more a man of pleasures than a man of Kresimir. Yet it wasn't wasn't that the way of the church these days? Oh, there were genuine priests, men who loved Kresimir and fellow man who toiled for peace and brotherhood. But Charlemagne and men of his type were far more common. Their love of women, gold, and power burned in them like a fever. Um, so one of the places that I hear the word is um, a YouTube channel called The Bible Project. And I watched one on like sin and um, how we fell out of grace with God and 
having false gods and the three that they kind of talked about were kind of identified here they said he says women gold and power and in that particular video i forget the title of the video uh the ancient peoples uh worshiped like military power money and and you know sex and women and stuff so Mm -hmm. um that just you know I, I don't know if you get this, but I feel like when I am tuned into God, God will send me messages from the most, like, like I, I will have a like content of God coming to me from like our church, from Bible studies, from like, you know, Bible project on YouTube and like the daily readings in the Bible. And if God wants me to hear something, I feel like it comes at me in three different ways. Like if I mm-hmm. get a message like three different times from three different sources that are unconnected. Sure. Um, I'm just like, okay, God wants me to pay attention to this. And I yep. think that's a shift that's happened in me over, um, you know, I've said my my real Christian life didn't start in high school when I was like, you know, head of like the, uh, the church group for the young kids and everything. It started when I actually started following God and sacrificing and, Uh, like my behaviors to him and sanctifying my behavior. Um, And since then, I've definitely felt God's spirit talking to me through these different channels and everything. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, when I read, so this was a quote I just picked out on my second read through of this book. Um, I didn't have it through the first read through, but just the fact that it had, it was just almost a straight parallel from what came out of the Bible project. I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, Brian McClellan used these three things, which were exactly the three things that um, old societies fell to as false gods. Um, so I yeah. thought that was an interesting parallel that that happened. Yeah. So it's like they're they're people of the church, but they're, you know, they're prioritizing a bunch of other things besides like actually yeah, following and, what God says. And for those of you listening, I'm doing air quotes, people of the church, because sure. you should be looking to the word and. Um, trying to live the way God wants you to, and um, and you know there were the the Pharisees who were false priests and proclaiming that they were you know telling people that they need to follow God, and sure. that kind of reminds me of like Manhooch in the first uh, episode where you know he's eating dinners that would feed you know fifty sixty people, and he's yeah. just you know living it up versus like being a good king and saying yeah. like, oh I need to help the people below me, I need to have a servant's heart. Um, yep. So this this particular quote took me there. Yeah, and even like with Manhooch, like he's supposed to be, and even in our own history, like, uh, mo- like a lot of monarchies were supposed to like established by God. I'm putting that in quotes. Like, mm-hmm. God has like ordained this person to be king, but they do nothing that is even related to doing what God would want them to do. Um, so they're like using the excuse of like, Oh God said that I'm the, I'm the King, but I'm not going to do anything that he says that I should do. So it's like just a bunch of hypocrisy from, um, you know, either the person in power or people just from the church in general. So yeah. Like a bunch of petulant children. Yeah. 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 I mean, my quote is kind of in a similar vein. So my quote is, uh, it's a short one. It says, just because something is church dogma does not make it true. And that's a uh, prime lector to uh, talking to Tamas. I think that's during the, uh, 
they're in the St. Adam's Festival towards the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like this quote because it's it's something just that's important to remember whenever you're like in church world or you're trying to like you're listening to church people talk about their traditions and things that the church has always done for, you know, decades, centuries, you know, whatever it is. Just the fact that just because something's always been done a certain way does not mean that it's a biblical thing to do and that we should be testing the things that we hear from people or all kind of traditions um, with what the Bible actually says. And an example of this that I I thought of was like Martin Luther questioning the Catholic Church with a lot of the practices that they had been doing for centuries and nobody really questioned. And then Martin Luther was basically like, what I'm reading in the Bible does not match up with what you uh, are saying that we should be doing and what you're saying is true and what the Bible actually says. So um, that doesn't mean that all church traditions are bad. Um, That just means that we shouldn't believe, we shouldn't do them just because they're a tradition. We should do them because they're a biblical thing to do. Um, We should just make sure that we check all of those things ourselves before we just kind of like jump in blindly in a sense. So. Tyler, I really like the way that you said we need to like test our faith and like um, apply like the word that we are reading to the practices that we're going through. Uh, That made me think of, you know, Martin Luther, like you said, he nailed the 95 theses to the wooden door of the church and uh, challenged the practice of indulgences. And basically that indulgences was the practice of paying off people's sins to the church. Like after they were dead. After they were dead, they're like, oh, yeah, let's just get that person out of purgatory. Let's throw money at the church and that problem will go away. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, the whole thing with that was that supposedly the the Catholic Church had it like in with God, like they were the intermediary. And the whole thing with the Reformation is like you don't need an intermediary between you and God. You can just go to God directly. Right. So that was kind of the the thing there. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that observation well done <laughs> awesome um as always if you have a favorite quote leave it in uh leave it leave a comment and uh why you liked it what it what it uh sp- how it spoke to you all those different things we'd love to love to dialogue with you down there in the comments um so now let's move on to some of the story elements uh so i think we'll start with uh tamis so tamis and adamant's storylines are kind of intertwined so we may go back and forth between tamis and uh adamant's stuff um so just be aware of that um so basically i think where we left off on the last podcast was that tamis had uh somebody tried to assassinate him um and And he hulked out and he kills the warden yeah he kills the warden but in the process one of his dogs dies very sad yes i always hate to see a dog die one of uh one of my childhood dogs we had to put it down recently my family did so it's just no fun to have to watch your pet die but oh well (laughs) that's just the way of the world i guess um but so the i think then the the next big plot point is that they go on this uh great hunt i think it's like a tradition that uh man hooch used to do every year who was the previous king after he was uh before he was overthrown and killed and so basically they just go on this like great hunt where they take their dogs and everybody goes out and i don't remember 
specifically what they were hunting. It was probably deer or elk or something like that. I don't uh, think it was actually mentioned, but yeah, I think there is a tradition in like the British culture, like they release, um, like <sighs> I'm for, I'm blanking now, but it's I'm like, thinking of the I'm, scene I'm in Game of Thrones boxes. whenever they go on the hunt and uh, uh, King Baratheon. I'm blanking on his first name for some reason, but he gets killed at his hunt. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> a similar. But, but type I think, scene. but I think there's a d- degree of like, I don't know. I want if staging is the right word. Like they sure. release certain animals yes. that are going to be pursued by. Yeah. And then it's a it's a competition of how well you've trained your animal to track those animals. And yes, um, you know, Tamis had really done well with his. And what's funny about this year's hunt is that all the royals are dead. So they're well, like mo- most of them, not all of them. But yeah, most of them. Yeah. But they're like saying how, like, basically people who are not far from being like commoners and peasants are showing up and they're barely in like the hunt uniform. And Tamis is kind of looking around like. Look at all these people. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't feel like the hunt that I'm used to. But he's like that guy's not even wearing the right colors. But he's here. Well, I mean, Tamus has himself to blame. He's the one who killed all of them. So I don't know why he's yeah. complaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, they go in this hunt, and I think it's probably good for them. Just uh, there's been like a lot of craziness happening, and I think it was good for Tamus to kind of get out into the into the open air, into the, into the world, just to like, you know, reset his mind in a sense. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we just as human beings need, like we need time to just leave our, our routines and the things that we're always doing and the things that stress us out. And we need some time to just kind of reset our minds. And that's why we have vacations and just, you know, walks on the weekend or, you know, whatever it is going for a hike or whatever. Um, those are just good times. Um, but in the process of this hunt, there is some nefarious conniving happening in the background. (laughs) Um, and there's like this interesting, like, it seems like there's a, a double, there's like a cross and then there's like a double cross and like Tamis isn't quite sure who's, who's the one who's actually betraying him because they, they get out a ways and then they're trying to like catch up back to where all the other hunters are or where the dogs were, I think. And then this one, I think his name was rise. Was that, was it what his name was? Riser. He was like, the, he was like their guide or whatever. And he was like, Oh, I'll take you on this secret, secret path on the way back and it'll be quicker. And so they start going. And then I think it was Ol- it's Olam who's like, shouldn't we be going some other direction? I think you're leading us in a weird way here. And that's because he's leading them to a trap. And, they their party gets surrounded by all of these people with i think they had bows and arrows yeah and so the powder mages couldn't yeah so tamas couldn't you access any of his powder or the powder on any other, anybody else who had a gun so which is very smart because they so they knew exactly where they were going to be and who was going to be there and who they were dealing with so they were very smart to plan it the way that they did um I'm trying to remember the person. You to, yeah, you can. You want to pick up? So I think. Yeah, so I think it's Riser is the uh, person who is orchestrating the capture of Tamis, and he is affiliated with the Wings of Adam, who is the mercenary group um, 
mm-hmm. under Lady Wenceslove. Um, and he captures Tamis, and I think he, like, it wasn't him in the group, uh, and he's, like, distinctive because he has, like, an eye patch or something over one eye, and so he's captured, and he's uh, taken just Tamis, and he's forced the other people, I think, uh, Rickard Tumbler and Andraus the Reeve and um, Charlemagne were some of the counselors that were present with Tamis when he was captured uh, and Olam, and he dismisses all of them, and he takes just Tamis, and uh, he's just, like, looking over his shoulder. He's unsure of, like, what's going on, and then all of a sudden, Tamis picks up that there's a privilege, like, in the woods, and this comes as news to Riser, who's like, I, I don't know about a privilege, and so uh, the privilege is gaining on them, and uh, and it's just really confusing, like, why Riser yeah. has captured Tamis, and then in the in the end, uh, Riser reveals that he's captured Tamis to enlist his aid, and he wanted to do it in a way that wouldn't arouse suspicion in the wings of Adam that uh, Riser was going to get help. But essentially, a family member of his or all of his family had been captured and was being used as like leverage over to control what he's doing. And uh, Riser wanted to get Tamis to use his army to help get these people back. So he wouldn't be, and that's um, mm-hmm. so that's what's going on. And then also within this, this privilege is Nixlaus, Nick who is the, um, the Kez privilege, who Tamis uh, hates because he beheaded Erica, his wife, yep. and he picked him up by the throat and threw him into the Yahtzee River in the first one. And uh, apparently he's riding on some uh, warden's back, and he comes in and starts blowing things up with his privileged powers, and um, Tamis is hiding behind a rock, and the rock basically explodes, and Tamis blacks out. Yeah. So he gets uh, captured by Nixlaus, and he's taken to some building or some structure or tent or something like that some camp and uh whenever the rock exploded it like messed up a bunch of his leg but uh nick slouse had some talented healer probably some privileged healer available who patched up his leg but there's a twist with the uh the leg getting patched up is that they the person put in some kind of it was like a gold star inside of his leg that is it that it touches the bone is that the thing that it has to do to cut Uh, him off from his powder mage abilities close yeah so it was it was touching the bone i think because they wanted it deep in there but um they put in a five-pointed star and the gold has to be in his bloodstream so like every time tamis walks uh or moves around it will reopen the wound and continuously pour gold into the bloodstream and that's how he is deprived of his sorcery. So, and then Nicholas Laus says, "You've been cured, Tamis. You've been <laughs> cured." Yeah, Nick Nick is kind of a. He seems like a very arrogant. Like arrogant, good word. I'm stronger than you, and I will defeat you. He just has like that pompous kind of attitude about him. He's also got kind of like a Third Reich sort of like prejudiced against yeah, powder like, mages yeah like we're gonna cleanse you because he thinks like the privileged are you know like the better species or the better magical being as it were and the powder mages are like uh 
like deformed or something or like they're not uh true magicians in a some in in a sense and he uh and he says something like um they're having a discussion in a carriage after the surgery and tamis has an emotional moment where he just feels the loss of his power and he like yep. cries and um nick slaus kind of leaves him to it and i think tamis describes himself as a broken old man um and then they're having a discussion in the carriage ride where uh, it seems like they're being pursued. And uh, Tamis is saying, uh, Nick Slaus says that, Tamis, you could have been a formidable ally in like another life. And he was like, well, and then Nick Slaus was saying, the only thing that separates us is you're a powder mage and I'm a privilege and your kind needs to be cleansed. And you're like basically a, the black sheep of all the um, magical beings. And uh, Tamis says, well, I'm also Adran and you're Kez. And like going into like the political side of it, like I'm, I have my devotion and my patriotism to my country of Adro and mm -hmm. uh, you are of Kez descent. And Nicholas is like, meh, well, that's not really a thing. And he's very much focused on like Tamis being a powder mage. Um, sure. And then he also has that very, you use the word arrogant, like, yeah, Kez is going to take over Adro. Like, that will happen. Like, it's a foregone conclusion in his mind. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> that was... Uh, I, I found it interesting that he is more... He hates the Powder Mages so much um, that that's what he focuses on and not on... Um, yeah. On, on like the part being from different countries. And I think that that's something that as Christians, we are always, um, I no, as humans, we are always like, I feel like it's natural for us to just um, stereotype people and to think of people in boxes. Uh, and you have to really work at undoing that mindset and having the thought that everyone is God, everyone is mm -hmm. made in God's image and yeah. everyone deserves like this, um, you know, grace and love yeah. and individual to, respect. Yeah. For, for a person. And, um, and then some people are just so blinded and, and a lot of times it's not even like, Oh, so I, you know, I used to teach psychology and one of the things that we learned is, that prejudice is not present in kids. It is a learned thing. Like if you put a bunch of like two, three and four year olds in a room, it, like regardless of race or, you know, the way that uh, the skin looks, they will all play together. Um, mm -hmm. But that's but if you are raised in a racist or uh, prejudiced, um, you know, if you have those influences in your life that can be bred into you. And I feel that um, a lot of people didn't even have a choice. You know, you don't have a choice in who your parents are and the environment yeah. that you're brought up in. Uh, and, you know, to be a Christian, you have to rewind that tape and say, like, and like you said, go towards that individual respect of people and, you know, kind of mm -hmm. challenge your own thought process. Again, something we've already talked about, like we have to go back to the Bible. We have to see what God wants for us. And, um, and we have to undo those worldly things, those prejudices and those biases, uh, if we truly want to like sanctify our behavior and start living for God the way he intends us to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. So Nick, uh, Tamis, I think 
uh, their plan was to take Tamus uh, th with this carriage to the docks, and they were going to sail um, sail away back to Kez. And they were trying to do this really quickly so that they wouldn't be uh, tracked and caught by uh, Olam, who is... Because uh, Tamus had sent Olam away before he got captured and said, hey, you need to go, you need to get out of here, and you need to... Uh, figure out how to, you know, track me or figure out who the traitor is, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Olam is hot on the trail. And I think there was this, a scene where like the carriages started getting like destroyed and basically they just caught him and Olam was able to figure out where they were. And, uh, he's able to rescue, rescue Tamis, which is great. I love, I like Olam. He's just a, he's a, he's loyal. How he's, can you not like He's a good Olam. guy. Yeah. And he even likes, well, he even treats uh, Nyla really nice, even though Nyla's plotting to kill Tamis. Um, yeah. They have like a little, little relationship, uh, Nyla and Olam. And then Nyla's like, I don't want to see you again. Because <laughs> yeah. my mission is I, more important. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's, she, and she's worried that he, she, um, she's like a royalist and, um, yeah. and Olam's over there like, He's like, Nyla says, you haven't tried to force yourself on me like, you know, many of the men would do. And Olam just kind of spurts and he's like, when the time's right, I won't have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was and such I, a great quote. <laughs> I was just like, oh, Olam, you are. And she like punches him, but she gets all red in the face about it. Uh, I thought that was, that was a really cute little scene there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Olam just like, he's just like, supremely confident in himself yeah. because he's just a true gentleman. I yeah. mean, he may be a chain smoker, but he's very loyal. Um, yep. He's, he doesn't need sleep. He's always around. He's dependable. He's going to do the right thing. You know, yep. very stand up character. Yeah. <clears throat> I should have picked not love all <laughs> I should have picked that as my favorite quote. Uh, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. That I do remember that scene. It was that was great. I like that scene. I just listened to it when I was cooking dinner tonight, so okay. it was fresh on my mind. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. But so Tamus gets rescued, and um, he he's uh, in a lot of pain, obviously, because he has that gold star in his leg, and so every time he moves, it's like really painful for him because it keeps reopening. Uh, the wound, so he has to go to one of the healers, and <laughs> he's like, I need you to open my leg back up, and that guy's like, I, I don't think that's a very good idea. Um, he's like, but there's a gold star in there. He like explains the whole thought process of why this has to happen. Um, mm -hmm. and I think he's basically like, I'm, I can't guarantee that if I do this that you're going to have, like, you're going to be able to move your leg anymore. Like, yeah. And then, like, he does get the, he does get it uh, done and he does survive it, but I think he's still got like a serious like limp and he's not really that agile towards at least for the whole rest of the book. Cause I guess there's not that much time that passes between them. His, his leg was basically like destroyed. Yeah. Like it was like all the bones were crushed and broken and stuff. It wasn't a, a little yeah. injury on top of like the star, but like his yeah. leg was also just like demolished by the exploding rock. Yeah. in the forest <clears throat> so i'm not sure how much uh how much that will play in the later books if that's something that he still has to deal with um but yeah his his leg is is certainly messed up but he does get his 
Powder Mage abilities back, which is what he was really, that's really all he cared about in the end, that he was able to get his uh, Powder Mage abilities back. Uh, which is good for him because it's, I think that for him, that's like, that is like a core part of his identity. So having that like suddenly ripped away from you um, was pretty devastating to him. So I'm sure he was very, he was very happy to have that piece of him restored. Yeah. That's why he was w- willing to, you know, risk death because yeah. he was just like, I, I want it back when, yeah. you know, without it, I'm not me. Yeah. Um, so the next big thing is I think whenever it was, whenever riser had captured them, he was talking about who the betrayers were within the wings of Adam. And I think this is where he mentions that it's Brigadier Barat, who is the traitor. Um, am I remembering that correctly of how he gets revealed to be, um, kind of the one uh, that's bad because he's been, He's also been sleeping with Lady Wenceslav, which is why he's kind of he has like a lot of sway with her. So he's able to like get things done that he thinks needs to be done because she kind of just trusts him <laughs> in a very intimate way. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's revealed that he is the traitor. And so uh, he Tamis brings Barad in to basically just like question him and just to say like yeah i know you're the traitor and uh he also has another uh brigadier in there sabastanian who is who's a pretty young i think he's one of the youngest brigadiers i think they said where he's like a really great soldier and 20s very loyal and uh tamas brings him in before he brings in brigadier barat and he says something about like I want you to go behind this like go behind this changing sc- screen screen or whatever and then just listen to what's about to happen. <laughs> and so then he brings Brigadier Barad in and he just starts to question him and he basically confesses to, you know, what he was trying to do. And then Sebastian in just walks out and just shoots him. So, yep. That was a uh, that was kind of a cool scene. I don't know if he had like the justification to do that or if that is what Tamis expected him to do. Uh, Yeah. I think he just wanted a witness in the wings of Adam um, to be there during that. And uh, I think Brigadier um, Barrett saw him behind the screen and and Tamis even recognized that he was grandstanding and kind of saying his piece. And, uh, and then it's learned. And then we learned that Sabastanian is going to be drummed out of the uh, wings of Adam it's like against their code to, you know, kill anyone regardless of their crime. Um, yep. And so Tamis is like, offer him a place in our army as soon as he's dismissed from the wings of Adam, um, because he recognizes the talent. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that is that, one thing. You know, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go finish. Ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that. Um, that's you think you're going to find out who the traitor is when riser like captures him because you're like, okay, this is going to link to, you know, the traitor behind Tamis. So it's like this whole other sub, you know, subplot going on in the main storyline. And then you're like, Oh no, we don't know who the traitor is still because this is all going on within the wings of Adam and more about their infighting that's happening and not so much about yeah. the infighting happening within the country, just within yep. their, within their ranks. 
Yeah. So it wasn't that Lady Wenceslav was the traitor. It was somebody beneath her that was infighting within that group. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's this was the in this book, there's the the plans within plans quote. I saw that in the book and I just thought of you because you were saying that in our Dune podcast, like the yep. schemes and the plans within plans and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that there's a lot of that in this book. Um, but one thing for uh, like Tamis is that he is really good at recognizing talent and protecting that talent and really uh, like cultivating that and giving people places of authority where they can reach their full potential. Like with uh, Sebastian and he knows that he's going to get kicked out of the wings of uh, Adam. And so he's like, okay, he's going to get kicked out. He's going to have a place. He's going to give him like a, I don't remember the rank he was going to give him, but a pretty, pretty high rank. Um, so that, cause he right. knew that he was going to be someone who could handle that role and, uh, be loyal. Um, I just like that, that about Tamas. Reminds- He's a really good leader in that way. Yeah. And that's, that's also biblical. Um, just recognizing people for their strengths and u- yeah. utilizing them that way. Your spiritual um, gifts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, um, that's like, that's like you said, it's good leadership and then being on the receiving end of having abilities and like I think of uh, my divorce and I think about the job that I lost and how I I have um, really great fruits of the spirit but like paired with the wrong person they just die on the vine um, I remember talking to my parents about you know they asked me when this was close to the uh, time when I decided to get a divorce, they said, you know, like what are happening to your fruits of the spirit? And I'm a very social person. I'm good at leadership. I'm good at working with people. I'm a teacher by trade. I I like to teach people things. Mm -hmm. And I just told them flat out that they were dying on the vine. And that was kind of my signal. Like, like this is the time for me to get out. Um, And I think if I had been further in my faith journey, I would have stayed in the relationship and tried to work through it. Um, That's what I love about Jenna, my wife. Um, We are on the journey together. And when things aren't going right, we are turning to God and we're looking for his ways to do things. Uh, Whereas I was trying to do things that the like the family that I had married into had like told me, like, this is what God wants you to do in this situation. And it was more of like they were telling me what God wanted and it wasn't like my wife and I trying to figure out what God wanted for us. It was more like her and her mom saying like, we think God wants you to do this. And then me saying like, okay, I'll try and do that. And then that just wasn't working out. And, um, yeah. And so, and I am where I am with God. Uh, and it's funny because, I knew that I wanted my wife to, to get me closer to God because I knew I didn't have a strong relationship. And it's funny because I have a really like a much stronger relationship with God, but it's because of the divorce. <laughs> I really had to like, I just remember being at the lowest point in my life, just like yeah. praying to God for help and crying out to him and saying like, I can't do this on my own. Like, please help me. Mm-hmm. And, um, the conversation that I had with my ex-wife at like right after that, 
just went so much smoother than like conversations had gone for weeks and and then um like that was like i was like in this little chapel that was on our property about a five minute walk from the house just praying to god and i just remember that being a very low point in my life um but um so my my happy thought is my ex-wife did bring me to god very closely but not in the way i expected it to happen yeah is that i don't remember where it is but there's that passage god uses all things for the good of those who love him so all things includes good things, includes bad things, includes hard things, easy things, includes all things for the good of those who love him. So you might not know where you're going in the moment, but, you know, God knows where where the story ends and where it's uh, where it's going to take you. And, you know, the hardship that I went through, you know, um, I'm. We, Jenna and I were fortunate enough to share our marriage story at church. Um, we've been invited to share it again for the next round of re-engage people this spring because um, it was impactful when we shared it the first time. And, um, you know, every time that I go through something that's been tough and difficult, I always try and think, what would God want me to do in this situation? And then the hard part is trying to live that out trying to swallow your pride and and to do the things that God wants Mm -hmm. you to do and then taking those hardships and and bearing witness to other people like I've been down that road I've I've had to do this and um, this is what I think God wants you to know through my experience I can only speak through what I've gone through but um, just know that people have been through things similar to what you've gone through and um, I think that's given um, Jenna and I have platform to speak to people and um, we just do it very candidly and people were very receptive to our story so God like you said can use all things to his good and to his will yeah very good um, yes yeah, so we had uh, Sebastian and kill uh, Brigadier Barat and um I think shortly, very shortly after that scene, I think it's uh, Mahali comes in for some reason. I think he's there to give him some kind of food or something because, you know, he's been sick or something like that. And so Mahali comes in to help him and get him some food. And then uh, Charlemagne comes in as well because he's upset that Mahali is basically, Charlemagne basically thinks that Mahali is a blasphemer and that he thinks that he uh, is claiming to be somebody who he isn't and that the church can't allow that to happen. And so he's basically, I'm going to take mm-hmm. Mahali away and we're going to send him back to where he came from, back into his... Uh, uh, like a sane asylum? Yeah, like the, the asylum or whatever, um, where he's supposed to be. And uh, <laughs> I love this scene because I think Mahali just like tosses him across the room and then... Olam and uh or is it adamant i think adamant is there as well i think there's yeah, like a whole Olam, crew of adamant. people that are just like Olam, oh adamant, what did you Tamis, yeah they're like what did and, you guys uh, see oh yeah he just tripped down the stairs oh yeah that's what i thought happened i hope he feels better later <laughs> they're just and like Tamis's surgeon is there too because he's like yeah give him something that'll mess up his memory oh yeah that was um, a great scene too he's like cyanide <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like that'll cure it um no that yeah the best part of that scene i thought was when um Mahali is holding his ladle like a sword and yep. like he's like 
He's like telling Charlemagne, like, you get out of here. And like, don't. <laughs> he's like, I, I don't want to hear any of it from you. And then, uh, yeah, then he just like knocks him out flat. <laughs> and then, yeah, then he's all, he's got like a bruised face later when like Adamant is yep. interrogating him. And Adamant's like, yeah, I saw you fall. It was a real terrible thing. He's like, oh, oh, I can't believe you brought that up. I think it's funny because Charlemagne is such like a stuck up church person. You, he like, you he don't like mind de- he like deserves he it. Up. He does deserve yep. it. Yeah, he does. Um, but yeah, that was a funny scene. And um, again, another thing with Tamis is like he is willing to protect um, the people that he thinks are important to his cause. Like he, like he wants people to be loyal to him, and he knows how to do that by protecting them or giving them positions of power or uh, doing things for them that can uh, help them reach their potential. And so this is just another thing where Tamis is going to defend Mahali because he's basically keeping his army fed and morale really high. And he's doing so many great things for the army. And he's like, that's, I, that's irreplaceable. Like I can't lose that. And, uh, and he's, there's like this back and forth between like, is it wise for him to go against the church? Because it said later that Tamis um, like the church is one part of his council that he's actually worried about because they have a lot of power and they could wipe him out pretty quickly if they decided that they needed to do that. Um, and so that's a big decision for him to go against what Charlemagne, Charlemagne wants to do. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just a good, another good scene uh, with, Tamis yeah. protecting Mahali there. He like yeah, Mahali is like the comic relief throughout the book. He I is. feel like every time he he comes in, he's got this larger than life attitude. Like welcome and uh, welcome yep. to the feast, Tamis. Oh, it's great to have you. Huh? Um, yeah. So the next big scene with Tamis is uh, we have Saint Adam's festival, and there's this scene where. Tamis is like is sleeping and he has I think he has this this bad dream and he wakes up and then he comes out and he sees basically like the whole city like gathered in the town square for this uh big party and he's like what the what the heck is going on around here I didn't I didn't say this I didn't agree to any of this and so he goes down there and Mahali's like oh yeah I told them that you said this is what we were doing and he's like all right (laughs) I guess this is what uh, we're I doing. I guess so. <laughs> um, but like Mahali is such a, he seems to always like do the right thing, I guess. Like he's always yeah. trying to make people happy and um, like fulfill their needs. Um, and I have this uh, quote from him here that I, uh, that I really liked um, about him not only meeting like people's physical needs because he's a really good chef and he cooks and he makes really good food for people but he also wants to meet like their emotional and their spiritual needs as human beings i chose this quote too um i didn't even see it until after i decided to go with my other one about charlemagne being a thing but yeah we chose the same quote awesome well I'm glad that it is a, is a good one. Uh, so this is what it says. This is a uh, Mahali talking to uh, Tamis. And he says, the people are hungry. The people need to be fed. 
They need bread and wine and soup and meat. But not just that. They need friendship. They need companionship. They need love and brotherhood. You gorged them on the blood of the nobility. They drank but were not filled. They ate of hatred and grew hungrier. Your intentions were, well, not pure, but just. Justice is never enough. I will put things right. I will feed all of Adro. It is what they need. Um, Definitely some bi- biblical overtones here. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, so you have at the beginning, you have the bread and the wine that like mirrors the communion where we drink uh, the wine that represents the blood of Christ. And then we also drink the bread or eat the bread, which represents uh, the body of Christ. And that's how we remember um, his sacrifice for us. And uh, there's also just like the idea of like you like you don't need just physical things to sustain yourself. You need you need higher level things to really have joy in your life and to be uh, fulfilled. Um, And that Jesus speaks to that as well with the woman at the well where he says, I'll give you um, water that when you drink, you'll never thirst again in a sense. And so there's like this idea of there's something that Jesus can give you that is that meets not just your physical need, but also your your deeper spiritual need for uh, a savior and to for someone to love you and uh, someone who has sacrificed themselves for you. Um, And Mahali is kind of like this. He's almost like a, a Christ like figure because he's like Adam reborn kind of seems like he's kind of a, like a son of God type figure where he's, um, he's come to like, uh, restore, um, like the people's need for, um, not just food, but for higher level things. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. So when you're, when you're saying that, so first of all, I absolutely agree. I'm going to touch on some of the things that I think are biblical, but Um, Just back to some psychology, Uh, if you have heard of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. um, Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to jump into that as a little side quest here. Um, Yes, love a side quest. (laughs) So at the base, you have your physiological needs or biological needs, and that's just um, food, water, shelter, clothing. And they don't say it here, but also um, sex would fall into that because uh, that's needed for um, the species to continue. Obviously, if there's no offspring, then the species can't go on. Then you have the next level, which is safety. And then here it has like health, employment, um, property, family. And then the next level is love and belonging, friendship, family, intimacy, sense of connection. Then there's esteem, which is the fourth level, uh, confidence, achievement, respect for others, and the need to have a unique uh, individual. And then finally, the fifth level is the self-actualization. This is like morality, creativity, spontaneity, um, experience of purpose and meaning um, in one's life. And so I think what you're saying is like we don't, we do have the basic needs. And trust me, after a good meal, like everyone's feeling better. Like if yep. you sat down and you ate a meal and it like tasted really good and you have a full belly at the end, that makes everyone happy. <laughs> There's yep. a reason they say the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Um, That's right. <laughs> if you can feed me consistently, I'm going to be very happy. Um, 
but then there is that stuff beyond that like we don't just aren't we aren't just called to eat drink and and that's that's it like we want to have a sense of purpose we want to have a sense of belonging and then at the higher end of things you know to have that spiritual relationship with god um and like you said i was also going to mention uh the woman at the well and just saying how you can drink of the things of life but they're not going to fill you up and that brings me to back to your quote where you said um where it says they drank uh you know yeah. of the blood of the nobility but, but they were not um and then he says your intentions well not pure but just um and yeah, so i think that call uh you know like it was a just action because you know tamis is a servant of the people which is what man hooch was not man hooch yep. lived for himself he chose the hedonistic path and mm -hmm. Tamis sees the needs of the people and he wants better for them. And he acted in a way, as a military commander did, um, that he wanted to um, have uh, people see justice happen. And then it's not pure because God would never say to kill anyone. Um, you know, yes. I think that the way that... Um, I don't I don't know and it's and it's hard because I don't think God wants us to live in those um government systems that are oppressive like that but I also don't think that there's a clear path in the Bible of how like we should um take over those like like to remove those people who are in power like out of power and maybe it's through like just having people who are of God like move into those position of power but then in a mar monarchy, that might just not happen. Yeah. Uh, so it is tough to um, to know what God wants us to do in those situations. But, um, yeah. yeah, I just thought I thought that was a great quote. And, uh, yeah, definitely wanted to jump into those biblical themes. And side quest, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Uh, I think that one phrase that's interesting is that justice is never enough. It's, mm -hmm. it's interesting because, like, God is just and he is justice and he will bring um justice at the very end um whenever satan is finally defeated and um you know all of those things in revelation happen um but i think that kind of speaks to um like having the justice for satan like that isn't the full like piece of you know, god's plan there's also like the there's the justice portion and then there's like the restoration portion of like the people who believe in God being restored to right fellowship with him uh, for eternity. So I think that kind of speaks to like, you can have your justice, but you also need some kind of, you know, like restoration portion. And so for this, in this book, we have like Tamis does the justice portion, but he doesn't do the other portion where he's not giving uh, like the people, like he's not restoring like the way of life that the people had previously. And so there's like this, there's this disconnect almost where like he does half of it. Right. But he hasn't gotten to the other portion yet. And that might just be like, yeah, he's fighting a war and all this kind of stuff. But he, Mahali's just kind of <laughs> lots of things going on. <laughs> yeah. Mahali's just kind of speaking to saying like you did like the right thing. I'm putting that in quotes. Um, like you, you did the just thing, but your intentions weren't pure, but you need to, you need to go a step farther and fulfill uh, other things and do more things for the people to really be seen as like, um, like 
to be somebody that people actually love and want to follow. Um, so yeah, I think it was a, it was a really good quote. And, uh, Mahali is kind of like the comic relief character, but he's also got some, some good wisdom there. Um, Mm -hmm. just speaking to like, people need more things than just food and water. And And we haven't even talked about the big reveal for Mahali. True. But I think this also speaks to like just Christian community. Like we need friendship. We need companionship. We need brotherhood. We need love. Like there's, those are all things that you should be finding in some kind of Christian community, whether it's a local church or just a group of uh, like your neighbors doing a Bible study or something like that. So there's, there's lots of levels to this kind of quote where, you know, and it speaks to those biblical ideals of, you know, be you being in fellowship with God and you also being in fellowship with other like-minded believers who are pursuing um, the same path and trying to be uh, just like Jesus as much as they possibly can. So, yeah, the scripture that comes to mind is that iron sharpens iron as one yeah. brother sharpens another just yep. to be in fellowship because um, everyone has blind spots. You may think that you are um, doing things the way God intends you to um, and that and you could be wrong and that and you need someone that you can bounce ideas off of and talk to and yeah. um, and that will lead you down the right path and challenge you to to again dip back into the into your bible and and to figure it out for um yourself and not just say oh i think god wants me to do this and just kind of perpetuate that belief without actually challenging it first yeah indeed um yes you mentioned the uh the reveal of mahali and yeah, so basically the, we have this scene here where he's talking to Mahali during the festival. And then there's some time that passes uh, with the festival. I think it's been going on for a few days at this point. I think it's not like just a one day thing, if I'm remembering yep. correctly, um, because there's some stuff that's happening with uh, Adamant and behind the scenes where he's still kind of trying to figure out who the traitor is. Um, but there's a scene at this festival where the black street barbers this like kind of underground like assassin type group they they basically just go into this festival and start just cutting down random people with their they have like these little razors that they use to just i assume cut people's throats um yeah and it's pretty it seems like, like a pretty gruesome scene here yeah like they just don't go in and start cutting people but their mo is that they kill people and then don't leave a trace like yeah and then they do they do wholesale slaughter too. like they go into a house every single breathing person in there dies and then they are whisked away without a trace um and they are directly tied to rickard tumblr um and that's like the group that he has under his thumb and uses them to um carry out his dirty work if need be Mm -hmm. and then so that's one of the reasons why um, people start thinking it's Rickard Tumblr as the traitor. Traitor. Yeah. Um, and then, so yeah, so the big reveal is um, Prime Lecter shows up, and Tamis is like going through the crowd and looking for Mahali, and Adamant has confronted the Black Street Barbers earlier, and he finds out that um, they have been contracted to not only kill him which i think we will visit in a few minutes um 
but also to kill Mahali and paid like an exorbitant amount of money, like hundreds of thousands of crowners to do this publicly, yep. to do it dirty. Um, and which is Brian not really Lecter, the, not, which is not really the black street barbers thing. They do things in yeah. the, in the shadows. Yeah. And stealthy. And so, but for this amount of money, they're going to do it. Um, and so Prime Lecter shows up, and all of a sudden he's like putting on his privileged gloves. He's like getting ready for battle because um, yeah. they want to protect Mahali. And apparently during the St. Adam's Festival, he's been channeling through his cooking, through all this food, and he's been weaving sorcery into Adro and healing the souls of people and mm-hmm. helping them. And Prime Lecter basically says, he is a god. He is Adam Reborn. Yeah. And I love the Tamis- conversation he has with Tamis before this whole reveal happens where he's asking him questions about Mahali. Like, what if he is really Adam Reborn? Like, asking all these probing questions, kind of trying to get Tamis to see the truth in a way. So, I don't know. I liked... And you also get the reveal with Prime Lecter that he's a he's a pretty. He's one of, like, mm-hmm. the original, the OG magical beings uh, in the world who is like Juline and uh, uh, Rosalia. Rosalia. Yes, Rosalia. Yeah, I like that scene and, between them. Yeah. And so he like throws on his gloves and he like creates this avenue like through the chaos, like all the people dying yep. and it's just like a it's like the parting of the Red Sea and it's like people are like pressed up against this invisible glass wall and he clears a way for Tamis to get in and go support Mahali. Mm-hmm. But Mahali is a god and like um, they say that where a normal privilege is like standing next to a candle producing heat, like Mahali like unveils his god powers and it's like opening the doors to a blast furnace. <laughs> and yep. it's just like makes it seem so much more powerful. Because he's, he's been like masking it this whole time. Cause, yep. Um, so he's, you know, he has that ability and then all of a sudden like Tamis is running towards him and he hears this like, yeah, I don't know if you're picking up on the, it's just like a little pops, sound. Yep. little pops. And he was like, there was a black street barber just right there. I saw him, but now there's like this red mist <laughs> <laughs> and then like just slow, like Mahali is just like, it's like disintegrating. The, it's like the snap at the end of infinity war just yeah poof yeah, everybody like, just like, disintegrates slowly like i love well, the, just the black street barber yeah just um, i love this the, the thing mahali says he's like uh they didn't need to exist anymore or something like that where he's like i just i just they don't need to be there <laughs> remove them from existence and yes but he he was a good god and he's like they felt no pain but um sure. prime lector says that um He's been channeling this whole week, and channeling is what um, allows a privileged or a magical being to bring magic into the world. And so the spells that he has been casting and channeling for weeks would all be for nothing. But basically, Mahali is like bolstering the people, preparing them for what's to come, and like giving them all the food that they need, you know, tending to the fellowship needs that they have. And, um, Mm And uh, his food is kind of, and Nyla even comments on it that she didn't like Mahali's food because it made her a little bit less angry every single day. She's like, I was a little less yeah. committed to killing Tamis. Yeah. Uh, so she's like, I bought my bread from another store and it just wasn't the same. I had to like go back to. 
He's basically like cooking. preparing them for the war. He's like doing everything he can to make them as happy as possible, as you know, physically strong as possible. And because he's he knows that his so I guess the other portion of this reveal is that, and I think this is what Prime Lecter is telling Tamis before this scene happens. Um, he says that there's actually ten gods, not just the one. There's Kresimir and his nine brothers, and they're all kind of on the same level. Um, and in, I think Mahali says like. Kresimir is like he's not a good god or something like that he, he says something about him where he's like I like I do things differently than my brother does and whenever he comes yep. you're gonna want you're not you're gonna need some help to combat what he is gonna be bringing down on the people yeah he so. said that um Kresimir <clears throat> would find it easier to start from nothing than to like yeah he's just rebuild. like gonna, gonna wipe everybody out yeah and that's you know that's very like human like yeah we'll just start take over. everything out and start start from scratch and um you know and then you have god's character um where he's going to destroy the city and they're like how many good people need to be in the city for like you not to destroy it and they're like is it 10 he's like i wouldn't destroy yeah. it for 10 <clears throat> and then it goes down to one if there was one good person in the city he would not yeah. destroy the city versus kresimir who says I don't really care if there's good people here. We're just gonna yeah. wipe everyone out, and we'll just uh, we'll just uh, we'll just try again. Yeah, we'll just try again a little bit. Um, yeah, so definitely glad that I don't worship Kresimir. That doesn't seem like a god. I wanna. I wanna. Yeah, Kresimir is not worship. the one to pick. Um. So, there's some stuff that happens uh, behind the scenes with Adam and some other different scenes that we'll talk about in a second, but basically it comes down to they Adam, it figures out that it's the, um, it's Charlemont who is the, who is the traitor. And so Tamis, uh, he basically goes to Charlemont's, I think it's called a villa. Yeah. His villa. And he's going to go up there and confront him basically and arrest him. And, uh, somehow he is warned of what's going to be happening, that Tamus is coming and he's basically, he's just ready for them to come. And so they kind of get up a ways closer to the villa and then they just open fire on Tamus and his soldiers and all, all the people there. And it's another massacre and a bunch of people get killed. And uh, yeah, there's kind of like this final confrontation between the two they go they kind of had this like truce for a little bit where they they're going to walk up to the villa and have a talk and figure out what's gonna what they how they can resolve this semi-peacefully and um they're using uh air rifles again to Mm -hmm. combat tamas's powder mage ability so he's not able to you know ignite the guns that their the other enemies are wielding and use them against them. So I like these little things where there's like powerful magic, but there's also counters to the powerful magic. You can use bows and arrows. You can use air rifles. Um, you know, there's the privileged who use a different type of magic. Um, I love the little, all the little kind of 
details and intricacies of the magic system to kind of L- give little it some, checks and balances. Yeah, checks and balances. That's a good way to phrase it. Where it's like the powder mages aren't just like running rampant across, you know, the whole world and nobody can stop them or whatever. So I like that part of the story. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What did you think of the kind of the final confrontation here? Uh, yeah, that was that was good. Charlemagne basically has like a small army inside of his villa, and he's prepared to fight. And then we have yep. the uh, the showdown where Charlemagne shows off his great ability as a, a, his, a swordsman, and he like cuts down Adamant, who's you know old inspector guy and out of <laughs> shape. And um, Olim comes in, and he's you know his ferocity. He just like gets Charlemagne backed up but then Charlemagne is just the consummate swordsman and starts basically adapting and learning Olam's style and he starts in on him and yeah. Olam is not you know he's strong he's powerful but uh, he just can't match Charlemagne yeah. who is strong powerful and incredibly skillful at the same time yep. uh, and then I don't. I forget how the final how Charlemagne gets taken out um, I believe he's fighting Tamis at the end there and um Tamis is like on his injured leg and and he's like in a powder trance and I think they fight uh to the death yeah. there. I think he's able to use some kind of powder charge to crack his sword and break it. And so that's how he's able mm-hmm. to disarm him and then he can once he doesn't once he doesn't have his sword, he's not near as deadly as he would be, so uh right. after that they <clears throat> kind of subdue him. There's also that scene uh before that when they're up in the villa and uh, Nick Slaus is in there. And I thought it was interesting. They put him, he's the privilege. So there's this villa and there's all these people with these air rifles shooting out of the windows and stuff. And then you have um, the privileged Nick Slaus up there and he can kind of see through these. He's using these mirrors in a way where he can see where the shots are going and he can kind of direct the shots. So they hit um, and it also protects him against uh, getting shot by bullets himself. Um, but I think there's some scene where Tamis basically is able to shoot something and shatter all of the mirrors and get him out of there. Um, and he uh, basically he like pierces his his hands and messes up his I think they're like glyphs or something on his hands that it allow them to use on, their powers. On the gloves. Yeah, yeah, on the gloves that they wear. And so he's uh, he basically has it so that he can't access his powers anymore, uh, which is kind of like a, a touche back to earlier in the book where Nixlaus had taken Tamis's powers away from him. And so now Tamis gets to do the same thing to him, which is, I'm sure, feels very good for Tamis because he, <laughs> of all the people that he doesn't like, Nixlaus might be one of the at the top he's, of the list. <laughs> he's at the top of the list, uh, yeah. right up there with the King of Kez. Um, yeah, whose name escapes me, but yeah, yeah those two are at the top of the list. Ippoli, so, that's his name. Uh, yes. Um, but yeah, so that was I thought that was a pretty cool scene. Um, one thing that was sad was we have whenever they're kind of hunkered down and trying to avoid the fire, Saban just gets taken out mm-hmm. right in front of Tamis. Yeah. Which it's Tamis been, is like, been his... he's been like losing a bunch of friends throughout this whole process, throughout the whole book. He's been lo- losing a lot of people that were close to him for a long time. 
um, which I'm sure over time just really starts to eat at him. Um, like questions like, is what I'm doing worth it? Like all these people giving their lives for the cause, like, you know, what if I fail? Mm -hmm. All of this was for nothing. You know, all of those kind of things were, yeah, it's just war is, as somebody who's never been to war, <laughs> like I can't really speak directly to how it is, but it seems like there's just no, I'm not so a lot of good can come to, to it. War. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not something that I want to experience. It just seems so. Yeah. Ugh. Just not like, I'm so glad that we've grown up in basically peace times. You know, we've had like the cold war and like, um, yeah, everything has been on, on foreign soil, all the kind of military engagements yes. during our lives uh, yep. have been on foreign soil, so nothing on our home turf. I can't imagine just, like, having to ration food, like, to give up, you know, our YouTube and podcast life to, like, hunker down <laughs> and, like, you know, hide with our families yeah. and, you know, worry about invading forces and being captured and put into concentration camps, like, yeah. Whew. That is just a reality that I hope never comes to America. <laughs> we just or don't anywhere. Have to deal with that. Yeah, or, or anywhere. Yeah, just uh, I just like I can't imagine it for myself. That's why I say America. But um, yeah, I mean, there's injustice like that all across the planet because yeah. we live in a fallen world. Uh, we have it. We, we have it good here in the states. Uh, we have it really yeah. good, um, and we forget that sometimes. But yeah. yeah, I'm really thankful for the time period we've grown up in because it's has not been that bad in the course of human history. <laughs> That's true. We've had it pretty easy. Yep. Um, um, yeah, so I think so that's pretty much Adamant's story. Yeah, I was going to say that pretty much ends where uh, ends Tamas's story. And then Adamant's story kind of intertwines with Tamas's a little bit. Um, so Adamant is basically where we pick up with him is he has been investigating a lot of the council members. So he's been going to a bunch of different people, Lady Wenceslav, um, the Reeve, Ricard Tumblr, uh, uh, I'm blanking on one of the other people's names. Um, and then the, the Charlemagne, of course. Yeah. The proprietor. Um, and he's spoken for by the eunuch. Yeah. And there's also the scene after he's, uh, I think this was after he finished going to Charlemagne's for the investigation where he left and he was like, okay, we're going to have to go during the night and kind of investigate further. So uh, they go home and Sue Smith is, is there chilling. And uh, then out of the dark in his house, there's the Black Street Barber assassins show up and they're here to kill Adamant. And uh, somehow he's able to escape with his life. I think Sue Smith takes one guy and like smashes his whole head into the brick wall. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. pretty gruesome. <laughs> um, and then you don't want to mess with Sue Smith. Yeah, Sue, Sue Smith, Smith will wreck you. He'll he'll give yeah. you. He'll, you'll have a bad day if you mess yeah. with him. Um. And then there's I think one of the other. Uh, there was three of them. One of the other ones got shot by one of their, one of his friends. Cause I think it was, cause it was really dark. So it was kind of hard to see. And I think one of them gets shot by one of the other black street barbers. And then Adamant is able to disarm one of them and basically just starts stabbing him multiple times in the chest. 
Um, so yeah, that this is a pretty gruesome scene, similar on par with like the scene at uh, St. Adam's Festival where people are just getting cut down. Um, this is definitely a... It's promise of blood, so... You know, there's gonna be some blood <laughs> in the book because it was promised to you. So I mean, it's a it's a gritty, dark story, but you know what? It's really it's really a fun ride. I you know yeah you know we we're reading it for the entertainment value, and um, we by no means condone <laughs> killing people with razors or going and breaking in and entering to people's houses and killing their families. Um, but it makes for interesting fiction to read. Yes. <laughs> And we do live in like a gray world. Like we don't live in a world that's black and white and always good. So there are th- bad things that happen in the world. And I think it's good for, you know, fiction to depict those type of things so that you can wrestle with them and you know, the, the morality questions and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's good. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, so there's the assassination attempt and he's able to escape. And then he goes and confronts the Black Street Barbers. Um, and this is where he figures out that it's Charlemagne who's the traitor, uh, because one of the the guys basically gives them up after um, getting. I'm not sure what they did to him exactly. I think they were gonna torture him or something, but um, I think he just gave them up. So I think his name was Teef, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And wasn't there one named Fingers? Maybe. Teeth and fingers. So it was yeah, Teef is he, like T E E F. That's how it was spelled. Oh, okay. Teef. Okay. Yeah. When I listened to the book, I thought it was teeth. Like uh-huh. your teeth. So you had That's teeth it. and fingers in the Black Street Barbers? <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. And then we have a scene with Adamant where he goes uh, back to his house after. Um, confronting the barbers and this is where lord vedas uh vedas shows up and he has his uh daughter with him and basically just using him as blackmail and he's basically there to get information on like uh did you did you figure out that who the traitor was like what's happening he's trying to get information on uh what tamis is gonna do because they adamant has told uh Tamis, that Charlemagne is the traitor, and then whenever he leaves and goes back home, Vedas is there, and Vedas is like, "Okay, what's going on?" And so I Tamis tells him, Vetus. "What's that?" Vetus. Vetus. Yep, Lord Vetus. You're probably right. <clears throat> but so he tells Lord Vetus that this is what's happening, and Tamis is going to uh, Charlemagne's to arrest him, and so. Vetus doesn't want that to happen, of course, and so he tells somebody to go and warn the uh, uh, Charlemagne to, to warn, yeah, warn Charlemagne uh, that there's gonna uh, be a confrontation there, and he leaves like a one guard there for some reason, and well, which is it's probably okay because it's just adamant and Soothness is basically like he's pretty much incapacitated because he got hurt pretty bad during the assassination attempt right yeah, so i got shot twice in the stomach yeah <laughs> that's usually um, a death sentence for most people sure yeah <laughs> um but i think tamas was there and he had a healer come and so i think he's yeah he's gonna survive which is yeah. good because I, I love when like um so they take out the the guy the last 
one of Vetus's goons, and he like throws him on top of Sue Smith, and Sue Smith just sticks his huge arm around the guy's throat and like chokes him out, and then and then like you know he's recovering from like a double <laughs> shot to the stomach, and and Adamant's like he's like you could have warned me, and he's like oh you big baby, just <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> These guys are made of tough stuff. More Sue Smith, please. Yep. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and so so now Adamant feels the need, now that Lord Vitas knows that Tamus is going to Charlemagne, so now Lord Vitas is going to go and help Charlemagne, and so now Adamant gets away, and now he has to go help with Tamus, because there's like this whole thing, because now Tamus is going to know that he has... Uh, that Adamant has betrayed him, and he's kind of been like a double agent this whole time, and uh, he doesn't really care because he just wants to uh, help Tamis. And he goes there and he's trying to find Tamis and he can't. But he does find. Uh, you're going to have to help Simon. me. Pr- Simone. That's how I was. That's how. Yeah. Simon. Simon. Yep. Simon. So he finds Simon in this uh, carriage, basically just sitting outside the villa. And. Uh, he realizes it's like a getaway kind of carriage for Charlemagne and Adam, it basically just like appeals to his sense of morality in a way where it's like, you're basically you're serving this corrupt priest and you say you're a man of the cloth. Like how can you support what he's doing and still serve him in a way? And, uh, Simon, he, like he he does he wants to do the right thing, but he also wants to be loyal. So it's like hard for him to like make a decision. Um, but in the end, he decides to not drive the carriage whenever Charlemagne asks him to, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Charlemagne kicks him off the carriage and his uh, neck breaks, which seems like a pretty unceremonious death. Um, that's too bad. Cause, yeah, because Simon is like what a priest should be. So just to backtrack, yeah. when um, Adamant arrives at um, the villa for Charlemagne, you know, he's heard all these rumors about it, and Simon is just like this humble guy who's paying penance. He's got this like two-year obligation to Charlemagne because he wants to marry his granddaughter. Um, yep or not his great his niece and um and he's like most people are done with this in six months and then we learn like just like how debauched charlemagne is like um they say things like he was at the morning orgy and like okay first of all that no one should be participating in that let alone a priest (laughs) yeah uh and then there's all these like servants there in like clothing that's revealing and uh there just seems to be like you know, Adamant says, like, I've heard about the worst pleasure dens in all of Adro, and this place is even worse than that. Um, yep. And then, like, uh, Charlemagne allows his guests to have um, relations, biblical relations with any person with on servants. staff. Yeah. And, and Simon's in the thick of this, and Simon does what a lot of men and a lot of people just can't, which is... He's got this very fidgety nature, and he's always looking down, and they even comment that he's avoiding, like, um, 
feeling lust, and so the only thing he can do is to avert his eyes from all the sexual things going on around him. Um, and, like, you know, that is the model of the priest, you know, and he's put in an extreme situation, and he is he is still finding a way to make himself pure, to make himself um, be presentable to Charlemagne's niece when he does leave Charlemagne's, like... Um, like the two-year sentence of like working for him, um, so mm-hmm. yeah, unceremonious death of uh, Simon here because, I mean, he was a weird kind of character, like I yeah. said, very fidgety, but um, still he was, um, you know, I think God would have been proud of him um, to yeah. crush those uh, wants of the flesh uh, that were all around him and to remain pure even in those situations. Yeah, and the Bible says that. Um, like you should try and avoid those situations and not put yourself in them, like because that will lead to temptation. And he didn't really have a choice; he just kind of had to be in that situation. But um, I know um, that it is better to kind of identify, like if there's something that you're weak in, and like if you know that there's a situation where you might feel lust, it's better just to avoid that situation altogether and not put yourself in that temptation. Um, so like yep. if you're in a committed relationship and you're like attracted to someone of the opposite sex, like never be alone with that person, like avoid, you know, just avoid talking to them. Um, because I think, yep. you know, that's, and, and Simon just does that throughout the book. So, um, I just wanted to throw that in there that I think he was doing a good job with, um, his charge there. Yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, so that's basically where we leave Adamant. And I think the question for book two is what's going to happen between him and Tamis? Because Tamis knows that he's kind of betrayed him in a sense, but he's also done a lot of good things for him. And he didn't, he kind of was forced to do it because they had captured his family. So it's kind of just a weird situation. So, but we know that Tamis does not like traitors. <laughs> he does not like people who go back on their word and uh, betray him. So. It'd be interesting to see what happens with uh, that relationship in book two, for sure. Okay, lastly, we're going to get to uh, Taniel's uh, story. Um, so he, his basic, basically his whole arc in this book is they're fighting off the Kez invasion um, over in, um, where is it called, South Pike? No, that's not the right. It's Shoulder Crown Fortress over there. Mm-hmm. Um at uh where Cresim Cresimir's Kruga is. Um Cresim Kurga, yep. Yeah. And so it's basically like this big invasion. They're trying to come up the mountain and there's, you know, fighting, retreating. It seems very like World War One kind of esque warfare where there's like trenches and little f- forts fortress like fortresses dug out and gavril's like fix bayonets yeah it gave me a very like world war one vibes yeah um and it's fun it was fun to read it you know just like the the you know the shooting into the hand-to-hand and yeah it was it was it was well written all the battle scenes i really enjoyed them yeah and so basically tamas's tamas or not tamas uh taniel has been trying to thin out all of the Kez privileged because he's using those special bullets that uh, Kapol had. The red stripes. The red stripes, yeah. 
which are special because they're able to penetrate the kind of shielding that the privileged will put up to defend themselves. Um, and so they're able to kind of pass through those unless you're a really powerful privileged. Um, but so he's been trying to take out as many of those as he can. And so they've kind of figure out that, uh, the Kez are invading, yes, but Juline, who is kind of leading this army, her ultimate goal isn't really to overrun the Shoulder Crown Fortress. Her ultimate goal is to get up to um, this place where Kresimir used to live. There's a big city that used to be up there whenever Kresimir was um, like living on the world. And her basic goal is to get up there and to re-summon Kresimir back down uh, to the world so that he can you know, help them like basically take over, I guess, in a sense. I don't know if that's like a good idea because it seems like Kresimir might just wipe everybody out and he doesn't really care who helped him to get back. But I don't know. I guess we'll, we don't, we don't really get to find out at the end of this book. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and so, yeah, there's basically this scene where they figure out they're digging these tunnels to basically go underneath everything and to kind of get around kind of the fortifications so they can just go through these tunnels and then get up to the hill uh, to the very top where they uh, can summon uh, Kresimir back. And so they're basically following them through these tunnels and they get up to there. And it's like a really hard journey because they're trying to go really fast to catch up with them. But you're going like straight up a mountain. So it's really hard. And um there's like a, uh, a group of them and they have this guide who's taking them up, uh, up the mountain to show them where, cause he's, he's actually been up there before and he knows like where the palace is and where they're planning to be. And there's kind of a sense of urgency with this because they, they have to summon him on the solstice. That's kind of the thing, which is like a particular day, a particular like hour or time period during a particular day. And so they have to get up there uh, really quickly to stop them before this happens. Um, any thoughts on so far where where we're going? Yeah. So um, yeah. So Juline is uh, paired with I think they're called sappers. Is that the people who are digging underground? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. And then so she has to reach the um, Kresim Kurga. Um, with the cabal, the Kez cabal, because she by herself, even, yeah, yeah, as as a preddy, she is not powerful enough. And then her kind of motivation is that, like, if she summons Kresimir, like, she thinks that he will right the wrongs and then leave her in charge, because she's like basically the person who brought him back, and yep. uh, she's the most powerful, you know, being a preddy. Um, and so she's doing it for power for herself. Um, and um and so yeah and then they said that you know certain pretty and powerful people could tap into like the power sources of other planets and that's why it's tied to the solstice and yes there's this urgency and they pass through the monastery which we uh encountered in the first half of the book yeah and it's destroyed <clears throat> and the monks are saying um that they fought and they look at all these dead bodies wrapped up and um and there's also wardens who have died. So Juline is traveling with the Kez Cabal and wardens. And then there's this whole like 
mountain lions like tracking everybody and killing and eating yeah. each other and like what is going on here yeah it's kind of weird <laughs> yeah like like why is this even a thing um but then they like then they get this guy who's like a double agent i think they pick him up at the monastery and yes. he's pretending to be a monk yeah, his name's he, Del. yeah and he guides them up um to the the ruined city which is where kresimir had touched down as um when he came to earth and it's a volcano and it like like it created this huge crater inside the volcano which is where they put the holy city and mm-hmm. then um Dell kind of leads them to the palace where um, he like where he thinks Daniel's like get me to a place um, where I could shoot where they're going to summon Kresmer. He's like okay, I think I know the place. So they like because his plan is to kill as many of the privileged so that there's not enough power to summon Kresmer. So that's right. Basically, his plan because they know that they can't defeat all of them, but his only shot is to just take enough of them out so that they can't do what they're trying to do. Yeah, they're trying to stop. And Bo is with them. Um, yeah. It's Bo and one of his um, lady friends who's like a Got dog dogs. trainer. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so they're all headed up the mountain. And so Dell ends up betraying them, leads them straight into the hands of um, the Kezkabal. And Julene. Um, and Julene. And I forget exactly how they like escape. Um, and. Uh, I think it has to like do with Kapol. Kapol's got some crazy magics where he's she's able to like buy Tamis or Taniel some some time to get oh, to get yeah. away. Yeah, she's Kapol got her like, like she's got her voodoo powerful. dolls, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she had the dolls of the uh, the lion. I remember the scene with the lion where she like smashed the doll of the lion's head, and the lion's actual head just like exploded. So yeah. it's like it was, again, pretty gruesome book. But yeah, it's like straight up. It's basically just straight up voodoo magic is what she's doing. She's using these dolls as like representations of the physical being that she is trying to attack, Con- control and manipulate. Yeah, dude. There's a scene, and I forget if it's in the second or third book where she does something with the dolls. It is just, it's awesome. i i can't wait to reread that scene like it's so good uh yeah anyway um so taniel sees the most beautiful man descending from the clouds uh and it's kresimir and it's an impossible shot it's like six miles away it's not something close like he can you know earlier in the book it's described that he can shoot the hat off of a um off of a guy three miles away on a windy day first of all if you are shooting in a windy condition like any sort of distance like getting a perfect shot is like nearly impossible so yeah like doing it at three miles is just like crazy and so like it just describes him like taking his two red shots shoving them down the barrel aiming and shooting and then him just like burning through a hole like powder keg of or powder horn of stuff just yep. to try and keep them afloat like i feel like his nose is like gushing blood he's like focusing so hard and yeah you know he's <clears throat> battling that addiction to the powder trance and like yep. uh he ends up shooting kresimir like like in the through eye, the eye and, and through the heart <laughs> that's what it's through said. the heart with his two charts and it's just like oh and then apparently all across the world 
all the privilege felt the death of um, Kresimir. Like, not the powder mages, not yep. the knacked, but just the uh, the privilege. So somehow and the, there's a and the pretty, I would assume. Yeah, and the pretty too. Um, so, um, and you know, we we talked about this before the podcast. It just kind of like comes as like a like a like a head cocking moment. Like, yeah, wait, really? Like, is that like, it? We we've been like going through this book and like you know like he's he's gonna summon Kresimir. There's gonna be a god summoned to this plane of existence, and then yeah. all of a sudden, like we shoot him, and now he's like crumpled and he's dead on the ground. And like, yeah, you thought like he was gonna like come and bring all his supernatural powers to bear and yeah. like take people out, and and he's and he's dead, and you're just like, what, what, like how did that happen? Yeah. Um, so definitely a surprising moment in the book and um it just doesn't seem very godlike to just get shot by two bullets and then be done you know and then because like earlier in the book like some of the pretty had been shot multiple times by taniel and like it didn't take them out so it seems like there's like Either there's something that we're going to find out in book two where we didn't really get the whole story. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I agree. It seemed kind of like anticlimactic in a way where it was like, it would have been really cool if, you know, he had made this shot and then like he kind of crumpled, but then there was like this massive burst of energy and like he came back to life. Like he didn't actually die. Like he was able to, you know, show off his power in some way. It just makes Cressamere seem kind of lame that he just got mm-hmm. killed from six miles away by two little musket bullets. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It just seemed kind of odd, but yeah, yeah I don't know. It's uh, there, all I will say is there's more to come. There's yeah. More to I come. assume that there is, it is a trilogy, right? So yep. there's two more books after this. So I assume that some of the other, um, I think it might be, I mean, we can just jump into like, kind of final thoughts and book two kind of predictions and stuff um so how about this let's just do uh what did you i don't know if we could should we start rating books i don't know if i really like rating books um i gave it four stars on goodreads i'll say that if you want to see my rating you can do four stars on goodreads um but i thought it was a good book i really just enjoyed kind of like there's a lot of action um I really just enjoy, I love reading like the first book in a series just to kind of get all of the different, you know, world building and like how the magic system works and all the different characters and the political system. Um, And like this book has a lot of that kind of stuff. It's got some interesting magic, some cool world building, a lot of political stuff, um, some good action. It just kind of has like a little bit of everything. Um, And also like the unique time period really does do it a lot of justice just kind of putting you in a, a really interesting place and interesting time and how they weave the magic in with kind of the industrial, like early gunpowder kind of era. Um, yeah. So I thought it was just really a really cool series or first book at least. And yeah, I'm looking forward to certainly reading the, uh, the next two books in this trilogy. And I think he's, there's also a second trilogy as well. 
And um, it takes place in Fatrasta. So this okay. is all mostly in Adro and on the continent. Yeah, uh, so Capole is from Fatrasta, if I remember correctly. Right. Uh, she is of Dionysian descent. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the red hair and stuff. But she was living in Fatrasta, which is kind of like a swampland. I kind of equate it to, like, I feel like America, you know, like, Kes like, has sent their powers over there and they're trying to colonize sure. but then there's a rebellion and they get kicked out and now Fatrast is on their own making their mm-hmm. own kind of country and sure. um, there's like native like like a quote unquote Native American people there um, yep. and that's all in the second trilogy uh, which takes place I think a decade after um, this this uh, trilogy um, but yeah so I'll just jump into my thoughts um I like reading Brian McClellan. I I like his characters. Uh, I yeah. like the action. Uh, I like how so many people are angry in the book. Just like <laughs> like Nyla's angry. Like and and I just like how gritty all the people are. Like um, yeah, and like they they're all little superhuman. Like Sue Smith got shot twice in the stomach, and he's still like strangling people to death on the couch. You know, even though he's in a, he is he is an act though. He's got some magical prowess is he an act yeah i thought he was an act that's why he's such a good boxer or fighter or whatever uh, i thought he had something maybe um, he doesn't maybe he's just a tough guy i don't know i think he's just i think he's just a bare knuckle boxer uh and everyone's just so like gritty like tamis is like mad at so many people he's mad Mm -hmm. at nick slouse he's mad at his counselors and uh i just like and I like that Tamis is, like they said, like a just guy. Like, you can get behind Tamis. Like, you may not agree with his ways, which is that, like, sure. you are not pure. But, like, you're you're yeah. rooting for Tamis, even though he's, like... And then, like, you get to re- see that softer side of Tamis. Like, he didn't execute anyone. Oh, yeah, just real quick, we, we need to state this because it's important. Um, uh, well, I won't... I'll say it after your predictions. Oh, you got to remind me. I'm going to say it. All right. Okay. Um, all right. Nyla is going to kill Tamis. Uh, and then Olam pulls her aside. This is right when she breaks up with him and shows her uh, yeah. the, the little boy, um, Duke Elderman's son, Jakob. And uh, she can't kill Tamis anymore because Tamis has not killed anyone who was under 17. He just sent them off to live lives away from nobility so that they can't come back and try and claim yep. ownership. And then Lord Vetus shows up and he has captured Jakob and he has killed Jakob's nurse and Nyla's there and Lord Vetus like grabs her and shakes her and it's like, what does he mean to you? Like, tell me right now. And you get, like he's kind of breaking that very cold, like calculating demeanor. He's being really yeah. rough and aggressive with her and uh, and she's like, I can make a run for it. And then she sees Jakob and he's like, Nyla, I've missed you so much. It's so yeah. good to see you. And then she's like, I had this terrible feeling that if I got in the car with Vetus that I would yeah. never, you know, be free again. And that's where her storylines in going off with Jakob and Lord Vetus. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, so even though Tamis is a gritty character and he's killed thousands of people like you still want to get behind him and like yep. the magic system is so fun um yeah i i really like reading these books like i said they are gory they are not for everyone they talk about blood and death and um 
but it really scratches an itch for me. I can't say that it's not fun to read these books. Um, yeah. You know, definitely if you were an adult considering this for a younger kid, um, preview the <laughs> read book. It, read you. it before you give it to them. Yeah. yeah. Do not just say, yeah, enjoy it, unless you're that way. Uh, some people are just like, yeah. I know that yeah. I grew up in a family where I was watching rated R movies in like third grade, which <laughs> who knows what that's done to my psyche, but I battled my way back and found my moral compass again. That's, that's all I will say. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> so now, yeah, now I get to, uh, I will pr- pursue the, uh, the smirking that you told me that would happen now. <laughs> so, uh, Tyler, AKA Vera, why don't you tell us about the predictions on book two that you think will happen? Um, well, one thing I'll say is I, I hope we get, um, some new like viewpoint characters. Cause it was mainly Tamis, Adamant and Taniel. Um, I'm sure those characters will continue in this, but I hope we get, cause we did really didn't have a lot of like other viewpoint characters besides Nyla. I think that was basically mm-hmm. all of them. And we yep. only had really had the little small little interludes with Nyla. Um, I think it might be cool to have other viewpoints of like maybe somebody in the in the Kez world. Um, I think it might be cool to have a viewpoint from Valora, uh, Tamis's previously betrothed or you know whatever. Um, her as a character, I think she's kind Taniel's of interesting. previously betrothed. Yeah, t- well, I always mix them up. Crazy. Yeah, Taniel and. Tamis, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, but yeah, so hopefully we'll get something like that, or at least like more information about those characters. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just interested to see what happens with like all of the Cressamere stuff. Like, it's like, it just seems weird to me that it would just be like he's getting summoned and then oh no, he's not. That's it. The storyline's over. So I'm just interested to see like what like what's gonna be kind of the main thrust of the second book. Um, cause you don't have like the threat of Cressamere anymore, I guess. Yeah. Um, which was kind of the main thing mm-hmm. in this book. So, um, yeah, we have the whole battle with the Kez. Um, I assume there's going to be some kind of war between those two factions and yeah, I, Tamis is still alive. So he's going to be kind of leading that whole army and seeing what happens with that. I'm sure there'll be some crazy stuff that will happen in that whole war. Um, I'm interested to learn more about Capole and her magic. You mentioned some of her crazy magics in some of the other books. Oh, so yeah, just really interested stuff. to see kind of more background on her. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to go on the ship train with Taniel and Capole. Hope they, they might be, they might be a good relationship couple. Uh, unless Valora can kind of get, uh, Taniel's forgiveness for doing what she had uh, done to him at the beginning of the book. Um, I did read, I don't know if this was in the audiobook, but in the paperback copy at the end, there's a like an unreleased prologue that had a scene with Valora and uh, that like first scene where they Taniel catches them uh, sleeping together. Um, oh no, that is not something that I've read before, and I've yeah. You know, so there, been, I might have to. to if I next time I see you, I can give you the book, and you can read that little prologue, which is yeah, that'd be cool. It's not like it's not super long. It's like maybe you know two pages or something, but yeah, it just kind of gives you that. the perspective of the person that uh, she cheated on Tamiel with, 
and mm-hmm. it's a guy named Flamore, Flemmer, something like that. Um, he basically gets like paid by somebody to seduce her, and you don't really know. I don't think it mentioned who it was, but so there might be something interesting with that. Like, who was the person who paid her or paid him to seduce her? So maybe there's some like conniving with like the Kez trying to get Taniel off his rocker. I don't know. There's this book has a lot of political intrigue, so I'm interested to see like you know more of that kind of stuff play play out. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Your predictions are pretty good. Yeah. You will get some of the things that you've uh, requested. I will All say right. that. That's good. Um, I can, I can so, live with that. Yep. You, uh, I'm going to... Yep. I thought of this whenever I was reading. Um, I, I'm curious if uh, Tamis's wife is actually dead. No, it's something I just thought about. I don't know if that's actually... If that's true or I'm justified in saying that, but... Thought it might be interesting if Erica. She was, yeah, I thought it might be interesting if she was still alive and she was like the one behind a lot of the stuff happening, or like pulling the strings. Ooh, a mastermind. Mastermind, yeah. That might be com- completely not true, but it sounds like an interesting storyline. Faked death and betrayer of his of his wife, her her husband. That might be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah, second book is called uh, The Crimson Campaign. Crimson um, Campaign. Sounds like a hound, war book. Yeah, and so the little quote on the front of it says, uh, just reading this, the hounds at our heels will soon know we are lions. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That's similar to the age of kings is dead and I have killed it. Yeah, yeah, just like that kind of quote for Tamis. Yeah, um, I think that crazy carpole magic. I can't remember if it's in this book or in the or in the second book or in the third book. Um, yeah, that's a, but that scene is is really really cool. Carpole is. You will find out that carpole is crazy powerful. Uh, she sounds really good. She sounds pretty powerful. So. Yeah, she's just she's just getting into it. She's. She's learning her way and doing new things. It's it's really cool. All right. That's all I got for predictions. Um, and, yeah, I think that's going to do it for the podcast. Uh, what am I doing? What am I talking about? Um, yeah, next episode, we're going to be doing um, – uh, so as of recording this, I'm supposed to have my first child here in a week or so. So – um, Daddy Verum. Yeah, Woo-hoo! so that's going to be exciting. So uh, this episode will be so this these two Promise of Blood episodes will be during February. So hopefully, um, when after these two go up, I'll have time to get another one recorded uh, for March. And the plan is to do uh, Dune Messiah. That's going to be our next book. Um, so yeah, and it's a uh, shorter book. It is pretty to short. It's only it's like two hundred pages or something. So. It's not that bad of a read, so hopefully we can get that done and uh, recorded. Maybe we'll only do one episode on that. I'm not sure. We'll just have to see what what happens with that. So, but sure. I mean, this book is 500 something pages, and I think both of these episodes are like really long, like longer than I, our normal episodes. So, I am uh, at an hour and 50 minutes on my yeah. Recording. I'm at almost two hours recording. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with uh. I feel like the longer we do the podcast, the more like 
we come up and have to say about things or maybe we're just getting better at like picking things out of the books i don't know but i, think, I really I feel that's like god thing. showed up to this episode i feel like um like i felt like we both made points that god wanted us to make for our listeners to hear and to challenge their thought processes sure. and to to question yeah. themselves so i it's good. It's going to help somebody. It's going to help at least one person. At least one. At least one. That's, That's right. That's all we need. Change the life of one person just a little bit. Indeed. And if if you were that person that it changed your life, I'm, we're very happy about that. We're, we're going to pray for you. And we, we hope you that you share the podcast with somebody else. And if everybody shares it, then we'll double all, double our listenership in one day. We said it before. All we need is you to share it with just one share with one person uh yes if you want more pages of light content you can go to our website pagesoflight.com and also make sure you go over to our youtube channel and subscribe um i'd really like to grow the channel more doing some more videos podcasts all sorts of things um so go subscribe over on youtube you can also go on facebook instagram um, and in Goodreads, if you want to see what's coming up for the podcast, I have a like a Goodreads uh, shelf that's called Pages of Light Podcast, where you can see kind of the books coming up uh, of what we're planning to read. So we're going to be, uh, plan to do Mistborn, the first Mistborn trilogy uh, this year as well. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, later on in the year. You can follow Gabe at NeighborhoodNerdServices.com, see what he's doing helping people with their technology needs and links for all of those things will be in the description of course and you can also find a link to buy the book promise of blood down there as well i would highly recommend it pretty good read and yeah Um, if you enjoyed this episode make sure you leave a review on your podcast app apple podcast or wherever you're listening and uh helps the podcast grow and more people find it and yeah any last thoughts gabe Come back next time, everybody. Yeah, come back next time. And we'll see you in the next episode for Dune Messiah. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Remember to keep reading and to share the gospel with somebody this week. And we will see you guys in the next episode. See ya.